we're going to deal with it with with an issue with a topic that uh, I've wanted to deal with since we started the church, and it's one of those issues, one of those topics that is real hard to talk about. A lot of people deal with this, but it's one of those that I think needs to be dealt with, and. We get to February, and a lot of us are starting to wish for summer. We don't like the dark nights. We, uh, we're longing for spring. And uh, that old seasonal syndrome called, what is it, seasonal deficit disorder, something like that, kicks in. And a lot of us feel down around this time of year. We get kind of depressed. And I want to deal with the issue of depression today. It, it, it's an issue that deals, a lot of people deal with. A lot of people suffer with depression, but you walk into a lot of churches and they don't want to talk about depression. And the reason is, is because we think that as Christians, we should be joyful and happy all the time. I mean, the Apostle Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. But so often the truth of life is, is that we do go through issues and we do go through circumstances where life is not always joyful. We try to be joyful, but sometimes life is downright depressing. And... We'll see in the Bible today, we'll see different issues of people who were great men of God and they suffered with big time depression. I even believe that some of them even dealt with manic depression. And I believe that depression is something that is, is at an all-time high in today's society. I think more and more people are struggling to get over a sense of deep sadness within their heart, within their soul. And sometimes they don't even know how to get over that. I think no matter what they do in their lives, they try to put this and that in their lives, but still they can't get over this one thing that seems to consume their life. And it's a deep sadness that they can't explain. I think the very first man who walked this earth, his name was Adam. He suffered with depression. We see in the Bible that there was an episode that happened and... We can look at that and we can interpret that as a time of depression. However, the only time that he suffered depression was after he gained something. He gained the knowledge of good and evil. He, the Bible says that he ate from the, the fruit of the tree, the fruit uh, of the tree of, of knowledge, and he gained the gift of knowing between good and evil. And it was after he gained something that depression hit. And we see other examples in the Bible. We see that King David, King David suffered with, I would say, manic depression. I would say that this man was depressed half the time and joyful the other time. I mean, he just went from one thing to another. But yet, it was only after this man gained the kingdom of Israel and became the king of Israel that he started to fall into depression. There was another man in the Bible, Elijah. Elijah was one of the greatest prophets who ever lived. He was like a superhero of his day. But yet, he suffered with depression. Judas Iscariot, the man who betrayed Jesus, he suffered with depression. And the only time he suffered with depression was after he gained 30 pieces of silver. By the way, Elijah, he suffered with depression after he he gained his greatest victory And we'll talk about that more in a moment. And so we see in the Bible, we see that often these people who suffered depression was after they gained a lot. 
And even in today's society, we see Hollywood stars. We see multi-millionaires. We see successful businessmen. And we look at their lives and they've gained so much. But yet, you look at inside their heart and there is a deep sadness within them. I look at people like Lindsay Lohan, who has the whole world. She could have had everything. But yet, she's trying to find life in this and that. And you can just tell there is a deep sadness within her soul. And I often find that it's when people gain things. You know, some of the people who get depressed the most are pastors and preachers. You see the local pastor, and he's all chirping, he's all happy, and he's like, hey, diddly do, how you doing? And, but yet, so often in his closet, in his little study at night, a deep depression comes over him. And you often find it's the most successful pastors that are the ones who are the most depressed. Because when we gain stuff, it often leads to depression. And this is the reason why. Depression started for one, because of one thing. Because Adam committed a sin. God told him, do not eat of the fruit of the tree. But yet Adam, followed by his accomplice Eve, decided to eat of the apple of, the, uh, of that tree. And what we, what we find, we find an episode that happens after that, that suddenly Adam comes into depression. And the reason is, is because suddenly sin has entered into his heart. And sin is, is the ultimate cause of depression. Now, I'm not saying if you suffer from depression or if you've had suffered from depression, it's because you're such a sinful person. Now, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's because of the root of sin within every man's heart. Depression is something that is a result of that. But also we see, following on from that, depression is the result of sin. But also, depression is also the result of our inadequacies. You see, we gain so much and we get so much. And the more we gain, the more we realize that there is nothing in this life that can really truly make us happy. We may get a bonus at work, but yet it doesn't fulfill that deep need within us. We enter into a relationship that we think is going to make us happy. But then it comes around and it's like, no, that feeling is still there. We have kids because we think they're going to make us happy. But yet that feeling is still there. Because the more we gain, the more we realize we are inadequate human beings. And the reason we're inadequate is because God has set a mark on our lives. And everything that we do falls short of that mark. And what happened with sin, sin separated us from God. Once we're in communion, in relationship with God, and when sin entered our lives, or sin came into Adam's life, and as a result, it's coming to our lives, it separated us from God, and there was a big gulf between where we are and where God is. And everything that we do, we try to build a bridge to that happiness, but yet that bridge fails time and time again, because there is nothing that we can gain that can bring that feeling of being adequate back. And you know, both these forms, both these things can appear in many different ways. They can appear in the sense of grief or they can appear in the sense of a chemical imbalance. They can appear so many different ways. But yet these are the causes of, ultimate causes of, of, of depression. You know, when I was a kid, I used to watch a lot of cartoons. And one of the cartoons I watched was a cartoon called, called Trapdoor. And it had a catchy tune. I'm not going to sing it for you. But uh, basically, 
there was this old like haunted house and it was like made out of like play-doh and they like filmed it and and and, and things like that it was like before special effects, and it was like in the dark days of the early 80s. And uh, so, uh, so I, I watched this program, and what it was, it was like these little creatures that lived in this big mansion. And there was like all these bugs that would come around and everything like that, but they lived there. And then suddenly, at the beginning of the show, you would hear this voice saying, feed me, feed me. And suddenly this terror would get hold of these little creatures. And they would go around there to try and find all the bugs they can, all the little spiders, all the little worms that were all over the floor. And they would gather them, they'd put them in bowls. And then they would go down to the basement of this old haunted house. They would open a trap door, and then they would pour in this, uh, the, all these bugs. And they would start feeding this beast. And the problem is, the more they fed the beast, the more the beast started saying, feed me, feed me, feed me. And the more they, that he screamed, feed me, the more the fear engrossed their bodies. And their lives. And then the whole show was all about them finding food and, uh, to, 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 to feed this beast. And then what would happen oftentimes was they would leave the trap door open and then all these other things would come out the trap door. And it was like a, it was kind of a silly cartoon. But it's got a point, I tell you. So this thing would say, would scream, feed me, feed me. But yet, the more they fed it, the more it screamed. And the more it terrified them. They'd never seen this beast. This beast had never come out the trap door. But yet just the voice of this beast just put fear in their lives. And you know, depression can be the same for us. It can roar like a loud beast from a trap door. We become so fearful that we decide to feed the beast. And depression roars and it says, feed me, feed me, feed me. And we start to feed it. Because the roar of depression is just as terrifying as if we came face to face with a lion or a tiger or something like that or a beast from a trapdoor. But yet the more we feed the beast of depression, the more it comes out and, it, and it, the more it, it wants to be fed and fed and fed. And the more our lives are consumed by fighting our depression and in the end it has complete control over us. So one of the greatest men in the Old Testament, we've already mentioned his name, his name was Elijah. Elijah suffered depression. The Bible tells us in the book of James that Elijah was like a superhero. The Bible says that this man, he's, he's called that and he prayed to God that it would not rain for seven years and it didn't rain for seven years. And then he said, God let it rain and then suddenly a whole monsoon came down. I wish I had that faith. I'd be like, God, let it not snow in Maryland anymore. But yet, it still snows all the time. I'm like, I want it to be 60 degrees. Obviously, Elijah had more faith than I did. But yet, this man was a godly man. And one of the greatest episodes of this man's life was, was, was uh, an episode on a big mountain, a mountain called uh, Carmel. And at the time, there was lots of people who had gone away from God. They started worshipping false idols. And at the time, there was this God, this false God that they were all worshipping. His name was Baal, B-A-A-L. And they would do all these crazy things. They would all do these crazy dances to give sacrifices unto him. They would like, get these little cars and these little lambs, and they would give sacrifices unto this. And so that this false God could, that could appease them and wouldn't come and, uh, and bring you know, fire and destruction on them. 
Well, Elijah was like, no, this is a nation where only God, Jehovah, the God of this universe, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob should be worshipped. And so he came face to face, one man against 350 prophets, and he said to them, he said, he said, okay, I'm going to command fire down from heaven, and if fire comes, then my God is real. But if, fire, if you command fire from your God, and it comes down, then your God's real. Well, the story goes on that these 350 prophets, they did these crazy dances, they did these crazy sacrifices, but no fire came. They tried day and night, no fire came. Elijah steps up to the plate, and he's like, fire, and fire comes straight away. And then in that moment, then Elijah kind of takes on like this super like Hulk hero, and he slays and kills 350 prophets. The greatest victory that any man has really ever had in Israel. One man against 350 uh, 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 priests of Baal. But yet, it was after this that Abraham started to slip into depression. And suddenly, out of his greatest victory, a depression that hurt so much came upon his life. And Elijah had a choice. He could have fed depression or he could have starved depression. And thinking who Elijah was, we would have thought he would have been a great man. He would have starved depression. He wouldn't have let depression get the best of him. No. Even this man who was so great, he fed depression in his life, and depression consumed his life. And it's from this episode that we can see how we can feed our depression. He fed the beast of depression in his life. And it's only by feeding the beast or knowing how we feed the beast do we know how to starve the beast of depression. So let's take a look at the first thing. If you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. And verses 1 to 4. This is how depression came upon Elijah. It says, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel, his wife, Everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. So suddenly fear comes upon uh, Elijah because he's just killed 350 men and then one woman comes along and strikes fear into him. I'm like... I think that's about right, isn't it? You know, I mean, one woman can strike fear into a man. It says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to a place called Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no, I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. So this woman has found out that Elijah has killed these 350 priests. She has got so mad, she has decided, I'm going to take his life. She sends a message to Elijah, and fear grips hold of Elijah. And it's through this fear that suddenly a deep depression comes on Elijah. And have you noticed, if you've ever suffered from depression or just deep sadness, just one event... One little thing in your life can bring on a whole complex of emotions. Really, for Elijah, in the whole sum of his life, 
This woman sending this little death threat was nothing. Why should this man, who was such a great man for God, who had done so much, he'd even commanded fire down from heaven, and now, just one little message from a woman called Jezebel caused him such grief. And we see here, the first thing that Elijah did was this. The Bible says that Elijah went off alone into the wilderness. The first thing he did, and the first way that we feed the beast of depression in our lives, is this. Is we disengage. We disengage with life. We disengage in society. We disengage with our friends, with our families. Elijah disengaged in life. And this is what, this is, this is what happened. He said he fled He went to one place with his servant, then he went on alone into the wilderness. And we see that even Adam and Eve, the very first people who had sinned and we believe suffered with depression, the Bible said as soon as they had eaten from the tree, they hid from God. They hid from God. They went off into the garden and they hid from God. And God calls out, where are you? Where are you? They hid from God. We see that King David... King David was a man who suffered deep with depression. And when he suffered, he went to the hills. We see that Judas Iscariot, when he suffered with depression, he ran away. And you know what? Even Jesus, even Jesus suffered with depression. The Bible tells us... Even Jesus suffered from depression. The Bible tells us in Isaiah, it says, He will be known as a man of sorrows because he has taken on the sins of man. And Jesus suffered, Jesus was known as a man of sorrows. And even, there were some people says, who is this man? He can't be a godly man because he's so sorrowful. But yet the difference with Jesus and everybody else was Jesus actually went alone. He went off into the mountain. But instead of disengaging, Jesus engaged. He engaged with God and he prayed and he prayed to overcome that deep sorrow that was in his life. But even still, when depression hits, the first thing that you normally do is you disengage. You disengage. And being alone, I think, is the first way a feeding depression. You shut people out of your life. You go into yourself. You don't want to talk. You don't communicate. You don't answer phone calls. You don't go out. You just want to be alone. And this is called feeding the beast in the trap door. Feeding the beast in the trap door. Did you know you were not created to be alone? We often use the phrase of a man should not be alone, meaning he should get a wife and marry a wife. But yet, every one of us, we were not created to be alone. We were created to be in community. Firstly, we were created to be in community with God. And then we were created to be in community with one another. And when you disengage, you come out of community. Often you come out of community with God. You come out of community with others. And you open yourself up to depression. And let me just say, spending time alone is not disengaging because I like to spend time alone. I like to just, you know, read or, 
You know, sometimes I just veg in front of the TV. I like to go out. I like to walk. I like to like, climb mountains and things like that. Raquel likes to get her nails done. And, you know, you see night and day with us. But, uh, but being alone is, is, is okay. Sometimes you just need that time to yourself. But disengaging is not okay. And when you disengage, you close yourself off to the world around you. You close yourself off to your friends, to your family. And that is the first way that we, def- uh, we feed depression. And this is exactly what Elijah did. Elijah just didn't go alone. He actually disengaged from everybody else. And I believe this is why church is so important. Church isn't just about a Sunday morning service. Church is about a community of faith where we share life together. And I believe the greatest way to kill depression in our lives is to enter into and establish authentic, real relationships with others, other godly people, and then don't shy away from them when life hurts. Establishing authentic, real relationships with one another And then don't shy away from them when life hurts. And that's hard because I know sometimes I go into myself. But yet I know the way that the best way to starve the beast of depression. Is to not disengage it. But engage in community. Look at this. In Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 25 it says this. And a lot of people use this scripture. To say, this is why we actually come and meet together as a church. You know, it's like, you don't stay at home and watch Joel Osteen on TV or something like this. This is why you need to come together in church. But this works with, with, with coming together in community. And it says this. It says, and let us not neglect our meeting together. As some people do. But encourage one another. Especially now as the day of the Lord's return is drawing near. Don't neglect coming together. Don't neglect meeting together. Because it's by coming together that we encourage one another. We lift each other up. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 13, it says this. It says, when God's people are in need, and people who suffer from depression are in need. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. The word there that says be ready to help them. The word help comes from the Greek word koinonia. And I'm not going to go into a big long lecture about Greek. Because I'll bore you to tears. But the word koinonia basically means this. To partner with or to be in fellowship with. To partner with or be in fellowship with. So there it says this. When God's people are in need, partner with them. Be in fellowship with them. Don't allow them to disengage. Come together and be their partner. Help them through those things. Because disengaging is how we feed the beast of depression. Engaging in community is how we starve the beast of depression. The second thing that Elijah happened to Elijah is found in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 4. It says this. It says, then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. 
You know, the first thing that happens when we disengage is suddenly we start to lose purpose in life. Purposeless comes. And when we start to lose purpose, we start to feed the beast in that trap door. We suddenly start feeling that there is no purpose to this life. And Elijah was a man who cried out, God, just take my life. I don't want to live anymore. I want to die. Just take my life. This man, Elijah, was one of the greatest men who had ever walked this earth. He had impacted so many lives. He had stood up for God. I mean, people throughout the centuries have stepped up their faith in God because of this man, Elijah. Elijah had so much to give to other people. But yet, when you come off alone and you disengage, soon you start to realize you like, there's no purpose to this life. I mean, why am I living? Why am I even living? There's no purpose at all to this life. And you know, each of you, God has got such a great purpose for you. God wants to use you in such a way. And when you start to lose purpose, suddenly starts to feed the beast. And you start to lose what God wants you to be and who you want to be. And I think, in fact, depression can get so worse that you even think like Elijah, there is no point in living any longer. And that's the saddest thing when someone gets to that point. You know, when I was 19, I went through a lot of issues. I was going through one of those moments in my life. I wasn't going through a rebellious stage as such, even though I did some things that I really shouldn't have. But I went through a stage in my life where life was just caving in on me. And life started to hurt. I, had a, I was in a relationship with a high-maintenance girlfriend. Boy, never wanted that again. And I was working a lot. I was full-time at university. I was also a youth pastor. I had everything going on. And life just was, became too hard for me. And instead of sharing it with other people and helping other people take the burden, I closed myself off to other people. And when I closed myself off to other people, I started realizing, God, I don't even know if I want to live anymore. And I wasn't suicidal. But I must admit, I did sit there in my room at night and I did think of ways that I could take my life. Most unpainful ways of doing it. We didn't have guns in the UK. I was like, how am I going to do this? But honestly, I did. I sat there and months upon months, I sat there and this deep depression just came over me. And I would get up in the morning and I have no energy. I wouldn't want to do anything. Because I totally lost purpose in life. Because suddenly my life was all about my surroundings, what was going on, instead of what God had created me to be and purposed me to be. And think, if we're 19, if I had taken my life, imagine just how other many other people would have been affected. Firstly, I wouldn't have married Raquel. Secondly, I would have brought heartache to my family. Thirdly, uh, my, my, the people I was uh, being a youth pastor at the, at the time over, their faith would have been destroyed. This church wouldn't probably be here. Or you probably have someone better looking. But so many lives would have been changed because I had lost purpose in life. And I'm thankful that God didn't take me down that route. But purposeless will feed depression. 
It will cause you to stop trying. And when you stop trying, you stop growing. And when you stop growing, you stop moving. And when we stop moving, we become stagnant. We become stagnant. And people who are stagnant, they become a mess. And they don't even want to be with themselves. But when we find purpose in life, when we realize who we are and what we were created to be, we start moving forward. And when we start moving forward, it starves the beast of depression. And I believe only true purpose can be found in Jesus Christ. I believe he is the one who defines your life. He is the one who saved you. He is the one who chose you. He is the one who loved you. He is the one who has created great plans for your life. You have purpose. Listen to this. Galatians chapter 4. And four to seven. It says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba Father. Now listen to this. Now you are no longer a slave but God's own child. And since you are his child, you are, God has made you an heir. An heir to the kingdom of God. If that isn't purpose, then I don't know what is. Your purpose in life is that you are God's child and you are an heir to the kingdom of God. You are a prince, you are a princess of the kingdom of God. That's purpose. That's something to live for. Because you know that you are inheriting something way more than anything this earth could have. And that is the kingdom of God. Purpose. When you disengage, you start to lose purpose. And when you start to lose purpose, finally you lose perspective. The final part of this story of Elijah is this. 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 5 it says, Then he lay down to sleep under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and says, get up and eat. And then it goes on and and the angel uh, uh, gave him food to eat. So so in verse 8, he says, so he got up and ate and drank. And the food food gave to him enough uh, strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, where he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. And then this is where he loses perspective. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Elijah believed that he was the only godly man left in Israel. He'd lost perspective. Because the Bible tells us in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 18, the Lord says this to him. It says, yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Elijah thought he was the only one left who had served God. But in in fact, there was 7,001 who were not left God. He'd lost perspective. 
His, Elijah became so consumed by depression that he started to act irrationally and think irrationally. And often, when depression strikes, it attacks our perspective. This is how we think. We think no one cares. Nobody understands. Nobody knows what I'm going through. We think we're the only ones who suffer. When I was 21, I went to India for a few weeks on a mission trip with my dad. And I was still suffering with some form of depression at the time. I came back from from India and my depression went. I still had days when I went through sorrow and, and, and I was down, but my depression went. And this is why. I suddenly saw people who had nothing. They had nothing. I mean, I'm literally saying, I saw a boy, a young boy, who was living on the streets with a toothbrush. And there was water coming down the road. And he was, he was cleaning his toothbrush with the water that was coming through the streets. Nothing. These people had nothing at all. But yet, there was something about these people that I could not understand. They were the happiest people I'd ever seen in my life. They were so happy. They were smiling. They were so joyful to see you. Their families were just put together. and They just seemed functional. They had no money. They had nothing. But they seemed functional. And suddenly I began to gain perspective. And realize I have everything in this life. And even though how much life hurts. My life does not hurt as much as it hurts those people in India. But yet they have found something to be happy about. And my depression just went. And when we lose depression, we feed the beast. But when we start to gain perspective in life, it starts to starve the beast. And I'll be honest, I wish I could take every one of you for like a day to India. It would change your life. Because you would gain perspective of how good we really have it here. In Hebrews chapter 4 and 14 to 16, it says this. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. He faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So because of this, so come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, where we will receive his mercy And we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. Jesus has suffered exactly what you've suffered. Everything you've suffered, Jesus has gone through. He's been tested just as you've been tested. But yet he has overcome it. And because he has overcome it, you can come boldly to God and you can overcome it as well. Judas Iscariot fed the beast of depression. And it eventually took his life. Depression hurts. And depression kills. Some people, it does kill their physical body. Others, it kills their spirit, it kills their soul, it kills their purpose, it kills their life. It takes the very life out of them to the point where they are just really a ghost of who they really are. It consumes like a beast in the trapdoor. Yet if those silly little creatures made of Play-Doh had just understood If they just didn't feed the beast, he wasn't going to come out the trap door. He wasn't going to hurt them. If they just didn't feed the beast, he would stop yelling because he would eventually starve and he would die. And in the same way in your life, if you starve depression, it will eventually die. 
Stay in community. Don't engage, disengage yourself. Let others speak into your life. Focus on who Jesus is and who you are in Jesus Christ. And just think there are people in this world who have got it so much harder. Don't lose perspective. Look up, feed your soul. Look down, starve the beast. So for, for those of you this morning, you're like, that's all very well. But I want hard scientific facts. I kind of like, I'm like that. I'm like, I want the facts. Give me the bottom line. Give me the facts. Well, listen to this. One of the leading experts in mental emotions is a doctor called Dr. Priscilla Slagle. She wrote a book in 1988 called The Way Up From Down. And it was a book basically how to overcome depression from a medical point of view. And this is what she says. 70 to 80 percent or a 70 to 80% effective way of overcoming depression is through amino acid, vitamins or vitamins, I should say, minerals and mineral supplements. Initially, her theory is that depression is caused by a deficiency in certain chemicals in the body. We've all heard this, you know, there's a chemical imbalance, that's why I'm, I'm depressed. A person who's depressed can be tested through examination of their bodily fluids to identify various chemical deficiencies. These deficiencies are identified as the chemical markers of depression. When various chemicals become depleted, the ability of one cell to communicate with another is impaired. And this tends to create depression. And the whole book is dedicated to this theory. However, the very last chapter comes. And this is what she says. Even though you follow the biochemical program, if you continue, if you continue habitual negative thought patterns, you will seriously undermine this treatment. Persistent negative attitudes can leave can lead to constriction and bondage. Whereas constant positive thoughts and expectations create expansion and freedom. Someone has said we suffer because we don't see things as they are. But instead we see things as we are. She said we can only learn to see things differently by wanting to see them differently. And basically the implication of all that she recommended was this. She can't help people who are already depressed. Her thoughts and her treatments can only help people who don't think negatively. Depression hurts. And science will tell you is why it's because of this, this, and this, and this. And I don't not science. I like science. But yet, the only way that you'll really overcome depression is from a biblical standpoint. And that is by staying in community, knowing who you are in Jesus Christ, keeping perspective, and keeping purpose. That's it. And we're here as a church to help, to engage you, so you can starve that beast that is crying out, feed me, feed me, feed me. Because depression hurts. 
depression kills. And depression is something that every one of us are prone to and we could suffer. But yet, God has come and he has overcome. And because he has overcome, you can overcome as well.